Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast, my name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here on the half of the podcast. Kyle, it is Sunday, but unfortunately, to uh, your discomfort, I got some bad news, man. And what would that be? Uh, Stanley Cup final has gone final. Yeah, yeah it has. But uh, no, um, I got to give it to the to Colorado dude. They played phenomenal. They were the better team uh, throughout the Stanley Cup. Definitely thought that the Lightning made it interesting when they won game five on the road in Denver because I thought that Colorado was just going to wrap it up then. But, uh, you know, the Lightning showed up on the road when they needed to to extend it to a six game. And I'm going to be honest with you. I, I thought the Lightning could push it to seven. With game six being back in Tampa, Tampa had a little bit of momentum after game five. But, man, that, that second and third period, Colorado just in game six, they really put it on Tampa. And Tampa just couldn't get any shots really throughout the second and the third period. Pretty much all their damage came in the first period when they scored that first goal, and then they never looked back. But all in all, still a very competitive Stanley Cup, but I got to give it to Colorado. The Avalanche are well-deserving of Stanley Cup champions, even though that they already dented the Stanley Cup within the first five minutes of holding it. So I, we'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, Kev, we're, we're back, bro. Back here. I'm ready to go, bro. What about you? I'm hyped. I'm definitely over the moon to be back here. But, you know, like I had said before, uh, just excited to be back in the booth, man. Realistically, we missed, uh, well, not we, I missed last week. But with the vacations coming up, we're going to have to be doing this as often as we can. So without further ado, let's just get it started. We got a lot to talk about. Yeah, so, I mean, we'll talk about the uh, the Stanley Cup coming to an end with the Avalanche hoisting the Stanley Cup after beating the Lightning in six games ending a possible three-peat for Tampa with that win over the Lightning. We'll dive into that a little bit. After that, we're going to transition into some NBA topics. The NBA offseason is off and running, and we've got a lot of rumors to go over. We've possibly got Kyrie potentially going to, to the Lakers. We've got rumors of Kevin Durant possibly going to Portland with Damian Lillard and Nurkic uh, chiming in on those rumors. Bradley Beal could be opting out of his contract um, with the Wizards, could potentially be re-upping on a massive max deal. And then we'll have some other uh, NBA rumors to kind of round up that uh, 
topic of discussion. And then we'll kick it over to baseball for a little bit. Uh, we're going to focus a little bit on the Yankees and the Astros. Uh, they just finished a four-game series where both teams split that series 2-2 apiece. When you look at the Yankees and the Astros, they are one of the they are both some of the best teams that the MLB has to offer. And we'll just talk about whether or not that we could see this matchup potentially take place in ALCS, the ALDS, or really in any sort of playoff format uh, when we get to October. All in all, uh, we got an action-packed episode for you guys, so let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into these topics. Kevin, I'm going to roll this one to you uh, for the Stanley Cup segment. Yeah. So, I mean, like Kyle already alluded to, you know, unfortunately, Tampa falls in six games to the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, the series looked a little bleak for Tampa, but they did manage to, you know, regain some of their dignity and actually potentially force this to a game seven, as Kyle had said just a few minutes ago. So, I mean, Kyle, what are your thoughts on the Stanley Cup as a whole in terms of how this series played out? And uh, what do you think is next for the Lightning? Well, I, I got to give Colorado their props and I got to give them respect because they were just the better team from beginning to end in this series. Uh, when I looked at the first two games that took place in Denver, it just seemed like Colorado had their skates underneath them. And it seemed like Tampa really struggled to go toe to toe with them in those first two road games. Maybe it was a factor of Colorado had over a week off before the first Stanley cup game after they swept the Oilers in the Western conference finals. And the lightning had to travel to Denver where you're playing up at 5,000 feet. They were only playing on three days rest after they beat the Rangers in six games in the Eastern conference finals. It just seemed like Colorado was just a faster team. They made their plays a lot more effectively than what the lightning were able to do. Even though the game one was relatively close in game two, Colorado put up a touchdown. They put up a touchdown and an extra point. And it seemed like even if the Lightning were to make this a series, it was really going to be an uphill battle for them to really get into the series and potentially take advantage of it. I mean, the Lightnings, they, they saved face in game three. Uh, they definitely showed that they could go against Colorado and, and really score at will against them. But Colorado, to their credit, you know, they went on the road game four and they were able to get a great overtime winner uh, to push that to a 3-1 series lead. And I'm going to be honest with you. When I was looking at game five specifically, I thought the series was a wrap. I thought that Colorado would waltz right back into their home ice and just throttle the lightning. I thought that they would have won somewhere along the lines of like four to two, just because Colorado has been scoring at will, not just in the Stanley cup, but throughout the entire postseason. Scoring has not been that big of a deal for them just because they've been able to score so effectively no matter who they played so far. But give Tampa credit. Tampa showed some resolve in Game 5. They were able to get on the board relatively quickly. And it was a back-and-forth game. Colorado definitely made it an interesting one. But Andre Palat gets the go-ahead goal with about five minutes left in the third period. And you know Tampa leaves Denver in Game 5 with a win. And I'm of the mindset going into game six, Tampa's on home ice. They've got the momentum on their side. I was of the mindset that the Lightning were going to be able uh, to win game six to force this series to a game seven. And early on, you know, looking back at this game six, the Lightning got off to a very good start. The, the Avalanche had a turnover in their own zone. I should say really deep in their own zone. And Stamkos was able to put it uh, 
put a five hole underneath Colorado's goalie. They're up one nothing within the first four minutes of the game. And I'm thinking momentum's just on their side. But give Colorado credit. Colorado was persistent the entire second and third period. And really the second period is where they blew the doors off against Tampa. They were able to get a great uh, one-timer from Nathan McKinnon that tied the game. And then when you look at the second goal that they scored, I'm trying to remember if I got the name right, I think it was Lakinen who who got the uh, the go-ahead goal uh, with a couple minutes left in the second period. And it was just their overall pace that really disrupted Tampa's rhythm because outside of that first period by Tampa, Colorado pretty much owned the rest of the game. So like you look at the, the two-thirds of the game, Colorado was just playing phenomenal hockey. And it really showed with Tampa's ineffectiveness to even get shots on goal in the second and third period. There were large stretches where Tampa just couldn't get any good looks. And in the third period with them down 2-1, they're on their home ice. They're trying to just try to save face at that point. Colorado's defense was stifling. If I remember the amount of shots that Tampa scored, in the, th- the amount of shots that uh, Tampa got in the third period, it was somewhere only around like three or four shots. No, Tampa had some good looks that they could have taken advantage of. But overall, just Darcy Kemper was solid in this Game 6 win for the Avalanche. I thought overall, um, the Avalanche's defensive lines came up really stout here later in the game. And to me, you know, that was a difference maker. And when I look at this series, it's like I said at the top. The Avalanche showed me that they have been the better team so far throughout the series and they proved it in the biggest game possible with them winning the Stanley Cup so I got to give the Avalanche all the credit uh in the world for them you know stopping a three-peat a potential three-peat with the Lightning and you know when I look at Tampa Tampa it was a valiant effort I think the fact that they were able to get this one to six games I think that was uh that was a good mark of their resolve even though that they struggled mightily throughout this series in certain points. To be able to force this to a game six, I thought it gave them a, a good shot to potentially send this one to a game seven. But they just they just couldn't match what Colorado was presenting them, uh, despite the fact that you know Steven Stamkos, Andre Palat, uh, Victor Hedman, Nikita Kucherov, all these guys have been just phenomenal throughout this playoff run for Tampa. It's just. Overall, their defense is what let them down. Uh, they gave up way too many scoring opportunities for the Avalanche to take advantage of. And to me, that was a difference maker. You know, at least if Tampa's defense uh, saved face, they could have made this a really close series, made this possibly seven games. But Colorado's offense was just firing on all cylinders throughout this series, as far as I'm concerned. And it really just put Tampa's defense in a bind, not just in, in game six specifically, but throughout the entire series, really Tampa's defense was just not solid uh, through large stretches of this series. But look, Tampa, I mean, they went the three straight Stanley Cups. I mean, that that's an impressive feat. And they were just a couple games away from potentially getting a three-peat. So I'm not going to say that the Lightning are going to be just dead in the water after this series. I, I think they have the pieces uh, to retool and possibly get back to another Stanley Cup next season. I think they showed a lot of resolve, especially early on uh, in the playoffs where they were struggling against teams like Toronto, 
Uh, New York gave them a really good run in the uh, Eastern Conference Finals. But despite that, you know, Tampa was going toe-to-toe with these teams. It's just they finally went up against a team that just presented them too big of a challenge to overcome. But I don't think this is the end-all, be-all for the Lightning. I could totally see this team uh, getting it back together for next season and possibly gearing up for another for another Stanley Cup run. So you know, congratulations uh, to the Avalanche for getting a Stanley Cup. It's their first one in two decades. And as far as the Lightning are concerned, I think they just got to make some small adjustments here, and I think they could be right back in the mix uh, for another Stanley Cup run next year. That's just how I see it. Well, I mean, obviously we already know that, uh, like you had alluded to, Tampa had some competition all postseason. They did not have one easy series. They did not have one team that they were able to just kind of mow through, whereas Colorado kind of looked the pa- like... The, the Panthers, they, they swept Fair them. enough, fair enough, fair enough. But I mean, like, as it got more difficult as the series went on, it, it got harder for them. It got more challenging. The later, and the they later finally, rounds. In the later it, rounds. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to remember. It was Carolina, and then it was... Don't tell me. No, okay, tell me. I don't remember who the person after Tampa... I don't know. I don't remember who they so, played after Carolina. So are you talking about Tampa? Yeah. So Tampa, they they per, they first played Toronto. They played the Maple Toronto Leafs. first, then and Carolina, then, then New York. No, no, no. no. They, they played Florida. They played the Panthers Florida. in the second Florida. round. This, New York, New York, New York played Carolina in the second round. That's right. what you're thinking of. I was getting confused really quickly, as you can tell, guys. I didn't really watch too much hockey this year. That's why we leave the uh, hockey specialty to Mister Debrow here, uh, but. I mean, from from what I can get the gist of, like Kyle said, um, it just goes to show how tough a three-peat can be. Um, It's why it's rarely ever done in sports. Tampa as a unit is a very well-oiled machine, very well-put-together team. They will be back as long as they can kind of keep this roster together. I don't see why they cannot have the same success next year. Um, And it's just a matter of will they be able to kind of keep this up because like anything else, time, injuries, longevity it all just comes into play as the seasons all progress but overall man it seemed like a very good series it seemed like a really good uh, hockey season as a whole it's a shame to see it end and uh now we're just simply left with baseball up until uh you know the nfl post excuse me the nfl preseason starts in august well it's either that or we we could dive into some of these nba free agent topics we definitely get a lot of get a lot of topics so i mean we could dive straight into it so oh yeah I mean, the, the the first one. Oh, by the way, before we do transition into that, that I can't believe the Avalanche dented the cup in the first like five minutes after they had it. Like they got all together for a team photo. Everybody was smiling, having a good time, and then I don't even know who was carrying the cup. Was skating a little too fast, and I think was trying to be slick with it and try to like slide into the into the team photo right, and then just bro just slips on the ice and just drops that damn thing. I, they didn't dent the top of it. They dented the bottom of it. It was the, the base part. I think there's like a black base that the cup actually, that the trophy sits on. I think they dented that part. But Yeah, that was, bro, just seeing that, the video was hilarious. That, that, that cup has gone through so much things in the past. It's been cracked. It's been dropped. It's been, bro, people have taken like, they put, put in beer in it. I mean, that cup has gone through so much things throughout the year, so. One little drop here or there, I think it'll be all right. Besides, they have like a whole repair team that's like solely dedicated to making sure that thing is ready to go at a moment's notice. So I'm not too worried about that. As long as someone doesn't drop it 
in the lake or something like that it just sinks to the bottom sinks to the bottom of the like the ocean floor or the lake floor or whatever the case may be that cup's gonna be fine but uh like like i said earlier let's transition into some of these nba topics uh the first one is kyrie irving i think it's safe to say that the rumors of kyrie irving potentially leaving brooklyn have really intensified over the last couple days Really, Woj has been on top of this, stating that a couple teams are really in the mix. But really, there's one team that has really kind of stood out from the rest, and that is the Los Angeles Lakers. And maybe you could tie this back to the connection that Kyrie and LeBron had back to uh, the Cleveland days when Braun was able to capture a title with the Cavs back in 2016. And who knows? Uh, it's still very early in the NBA offseason. We'll kind of see how things play out. But... Kyrie is a potentially a big piece here that could be on the move. And Brooklyn could be looking at the Lakers as a potential trade partner to send Kyrie out to LA. So Brooklyn doesn't have to deal with Kyrie's little shenanigans uh, essentially for the rest of time, I guess. But um, Kevin, I'm just going to kick this one to you. Do you think that Kyrie Irving is going to be a Los Angeles Laker within the foreseeable future? I mean, the only option right now is LA. Dallas backed out. The Clippers backed out. The Nets are literally like on the precipice of saying, I give up. I can't do this anymore. Let's ship you out to LA so we don't have to deal with you. But people have to remember, in order to do that, since Brooklyn doesn't necessarily have a deep roster, to trade Kyrie, which is their second best player, LA is going to have to give up a lot. Whether or not that's a swap for Russ... Are Russ and KD going to play any better? Does this mean KD is going to leave if Kyrie leaves? Does this mean that Brooklyn's going to be broken into pieces? Does this mean LA is going to have to trade away pieces to acquire Kyrie? They don't really have draft picks. Are they going to have to trade away you know, some of their other pieces that are, I guess, solid for them, like Malik Monk in a package deal with Taylor Horton Tucker? I don't know. Kyle knows the roster better than I do, but I'm just looking at this from an overall um, business perspective. Yes, is Kyrie Irving one of the best players in the NBA? Absolutely. But you already have to worry about Bronze going into year 20. He has been injury-ridden the last couple of seasons. Unfortunately, father time has just caught up to him. I'm not saying he's injury-prone, but you know he's missed significant time, more so than he has in his career, in the last three years since he's gotten to L.A. Anthony Davis is a walking piece of glass, so he misses time every year, at least a minimum of 20-some-odd games. Now you're talking about a guy that's missed 127 games in three seasons. Do you really need another guy that you're going to have to pay upwards of 35 plus a year on this roster? Whether or not it's going to happen is, is irrelevant. I'm saying it from the perspective of, does it make sense? Why would you want to trade for somebody this difficult with a rookie head coach? Just because LeBron James is his teammate doesn't mean LeBron is going to be able to keep him under control. Remember, Kyrie wanted to leave to be on his own to do his own thing when he left Cleveland. Why does it have to be the narrative, well, he's got to be with Braun because Braun was the only one that could control him. Now Kyrie's used to having his own show for about four or five seasons now. He's not just going to fold and listen to LeBron James because he said so. I'm not. I'm pretty sure that the Lakers head coach is not going to tolerate anything like this as well. So I'm just, I don't get it. I get the talent portion of it i get why you want Kyrie. i get the chemistry he brings with lebron james but the headache that comes with it is just 
to me, it's not worth it. There's no guarantee he's going to not do what he did in Brooklyn. There's no guarantee he's not going to be a cancer in the locker room. There's not going to be a guarantee that his contract is going to be that much less than Russ. Because, again, Kyrie is suited to make 36.6 or something like that this year. Russ is set for 47.7. If Kyrie signs an extension, we don't know how much that's going to be for, not to mention the Lakers are tied up in cap space with two specific players in LeBron James and Anthony Davis, at least until next season. And you got Russell's on the books right now. So if you were to trade that away, you're just basically getting a player back that's going to save you, what, maybe eight, nine million dollars in total of the books. I, I just don't understand it. Again, I know the positive of what he can do when they're on the court, but we've been trying these big threes with LeBron James, and the only successful one seems to have been the Miami Heat days and that one year in uh, in Cleveland with uh, Kevin Love and Kyrie, but I don't know, man. Kyrie just seems to be a cancer no matter where he goes, and I don't know if it's going to be a good fit for the Lakers because they're already struggling to keep two of their players on the court. You don't need to have a third. Well, to me, like just to be fully transparent, you know, as a Lakers fan, I mean, I'm skeptical of the idea of, you know, Kyrie Irving coming into the fold. But if I were to look at this objectively, I were to look at Russell Westbrook versus Kyrie Irving, and I was just strictly talking basketball only, I would have to favor Kyrie Irving, Kyrie Irving over Russell simply just because Kyrie is a wizard. The guy has some of the best handles in NBA history, if not the best handles in NBA history. And when he's on the court, he could drop 35, 40 points consistently. And he's a great facilitator of the basketball. And if you were to pair Kyrie Irving alongside LeBron James and Anthony Davis, as long as everybody's healthy, and I say that with all emphasis pointed to that, they could make it work. However, with Kyrie's antics, you don't really know what you're going to get with him because you don't know if he's going to be available to work. So that's uh, that's why I'm just super skeptical about this potential trade potentially going down. Look, the Lakers are in quite a bind here because LeBron's going into year 20. He's 38 years old. Like Kevin said, it seems like his body's finally breaking down. And not only that, you have an injury-prone AD who, like Kevin said, will probably miss at least a minimum of 25, if not 30 to 40 games uh, a season. He just hasn't been able to be healthy really throughout his entire tenure with the Lakers outside of the one year that they won a title in the bubble. So tie that in with possibly adding Kyrie into the mix. Kyrie's had his own antics to deal with the last couple of years. He missed half of the games during the regular season last year simply just because of the COVID restrictions that the NBA and New York City had. He could only play in road games, and then he was able to play in the playoff games. So that definitely kind of made a difference in the end. But when you miss half of the season, it leaves a detrimental effect on the team. Not only that, he he's basically said it in the past where he's become uh, very involved in local politics. He's, he's missed games because of having meetings with local politicians or local uh, activist groups and not to say that you know Kyrie can't do those things but when you're missing work uh, because of those things it definitely becomes a red flag as far as just your overall uh, availability uh, to be able to go out and work and when I look at a potential trade that the Lakers could you know, put together to try to get Kyrie Irving 
I mean, you're you're definitely looking at Malik Monk getting traded. Uh, you're probably looking at Taylor Horton Tucker getting traded. I'd probably say a bevy of draft picks uh, for the next couple of years are going to have to go. Maybe you could get Kendrick Nunn off your books. I, I mean, you're looking at at least three players and probably three to four draft picks that you would have to send to Brooklyn uh, to make this deal work. And that's just off the, just the top of my head, just looking at this objectively. And there's no guarantee that that would be enough capital to send to Brooklyn to be able to get Kyrie back in return. It just seems to me, you know, when I look at this possibility going down, I think it would actually put the Lakers more in a hole just because I don't think it's going to work. And, and maybe, you know, I guess if you were to look at this, just like, like if, if it's a point guard swap for Kyrie and Russell Westbrook, I still think that the Lakers are going to have to give up some other pieces, like I just mentioned, with you know Kendrick Nunn, Taylor Horton Tucker, and maybe Malik Monk. So I don't really know if this is going to go down, but it really seems like there's a lot of momentum generating towards um, Kyrie possibly going to the Lakers. Now, does that mean that you know Brooklyn can't solve uh, the issues that's going on between their front office and Kyrie? No, they could definitely solve these issues and possibly get a Kyrie back in the fold for Brooklyn next year to go alongside Kevin Durant. So it's not like this thing is dead in the water and, and Kyrie's going to be on his way to LA just because we're saying it. But there's definitely a lot of speculation right now about Kyrie's availability with the Nets. And it does seem like to me, out of all the teams that have been mentioned, like Dallas, um, the Lakers, the Clippers, it definitely seems like the Lakers are the one that are probably going to push the heaviest to try to get Kyrie into the fold. But I don't know if it makes them like immediate contenders just because LeBron's getting old. Anthony Davis is never healthy. And we don't know if Kyrie's going to be on the court uh, for whatever sort of reasons that he may come up with. So overall, I'm skeptical about the impact that this would bring. But does it make the Lakers viable in the Western Conference? Yeah, maybe if that trade were to go down, but we'll kind of see how this thing plays out in the next couple of weeks or so, but it would be interesting to see if the Lakers were to bring in Kyrie into the fold. It would definitely make things interesting. It's a, uh, it's kind of crazy when you think about it. Like I saw a post, what was it? I think earlier today, something on Twitter. It was like the, this, these teams were a decade ago, which was like Boston's big three, OKC's big three, Miami's big three, and so on and so on and so forth. And you just think about like how good these players were just a few years back and like their impact to the game was just so different. Like Russell Westbrook was a walking triple-double. And again, he still is to me. We had that discussion on whether or not I would take him over James Harden. I think he just had a really, really bad year. I think he's still a viable point guard and well above average. We all know that Kyrie is too, but they each provide their own issues. Russell's being chemistry on the court. Russell's being inefficiency on the court. Russell being a basket case in terms of like his verbal issues, like him getting into a, a Twitter beef with freaking Skip Bayless. He's thin-skinned. Yeah, So and, and then you have Kyrie. Lack of attention to detail, lack of urgency, lack of discipline. I mean, just overall, a lack of respect, quite frankly, to his team and his 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 responsibilities as a basketball player, because it's not like you're doing this for recreational purposes. This is your job. So each of them have their own issues, respectively. And it, we're, we're sitting here talking about who would be a better fit or who would end up being on this team when the season starts. 
And Kyrie is just, he has that much of a pull that comes with him in terms of just everything that just revolves around him, whether it's him in the media, him on the basketball court, a highlight reel that he put on freaking ESPN. It's just, they're box office players, as Stephen A. continues to say. And it's just kind of like, I don't even know what's going to happen this season, man. Because it's like, I don't even know. if I, the, Do you think personally, like I know we've kind of asked this before, you think Kyrie makes you a better team? Because you're going to lose players to get him. Well, it, it's like I said, you're going to have to give up at least Russ. You know, that's going to be the main swap right there because Russell's going to have to go to Brooklyn. Unless we case. plot twist this and we give them AD. You give them AD. It, we have very little rim protection at that point. Then We have like no rim protection then. LeBron would have to play the five. Because, I mean, who, who else is really going to defend the, the rim outside of AD? Probably really get Dwight Howard on another freaking, I don't know, on another vet minimum. Yeah. I mean, is, is Dwight going to be the savior for you know, the defensive side of protecting the rim? I don't think no, so. No, obviously, I'm not saying that it's definitive or anything. I'm just saying, like, you know, as a plot twist kind of narrative, would you would you be willing to give him I, up? I, I, because he can't I, stay healthy on the court. I, I I don't think it would work then because if you if you don't trade Russell but you trade AD, well now you have two point guards, and I don't know how they're going to be able to make that work. I mean, listen, they tried the Russell Westbrook and Chris Paul experiment in Houston, and it only lasted a year. You know, you can even look at Russell when he was with Washington with Bradley Beal. Now, to Russell's credit, he was relatively successful in that short stint with. Washington. That's why he ended up getting the stint with the Lakers uh, this past season. But to me, if any sort of rumors of Kyrie going to the Lakers, it's because that they're going to trade Russell Westbrook. They'd probably trade Taylor Horton Tucker and maybe Malik Monk on top of that, alongside some draft picks to be able to bring Kyrie into the fold. I, I don't think that AD uh, would get involved in that trade just because then at that point you have Kyrie Irving, Russell Westbrook and LeBron James. I, I I just don't think that that's a winning formula there. I don't even think it's a winning formula with KD and not KD, uh, LeBron, AD, and Kyrie. I I still don't think it's a winning formula because, I mean, granted, you have three superstars, but you have no depth to work with. It's almost kind of running what the Nets had last year. Especially you know when you look at LeBron and AD, these guys can't stay healthy anymore and it sucks that you know broad's body's breaking down but that just comes with age he's 38 years old going into year 20 i mean ad is as brittle as a glass house so you throw a rock at the house it's it's just gonna break and Kyrie, with all the shenanigans that he brings with his lack of availability in large stretches it's almost kind of set up like it's like a house of cards you know pull one card out of that house and the whole thing's probably gonna so I don't really know at this point. Bron's going to have to score 30 every game again, honestly, for yeah, because, this to even be potentially close to happening. They're, they're going to give up at least 130 points. They have no defense to work with. Because as far as I'm concerned, it, literally, you would just be transferring what Brooklyn had with issues on the defensive side last year to the Lakers. And the Lakers already had a lot of issues on the defensive side to begin with. So I don't think that this solves any of the defensive issues Not at the all. Lakers have. In fact, it'd probably complicate things and make things worse. And the Lakers were giving up point totals of at least 115 to 120 points consistently last year. 
if you were to bring Kyrie in, you lose mostly your depth that could have provided some sort of defensive spark. The Lakers are going to give up like 130 points a game. The only way that they would be able to win games is just to outscore their opponent. And I don't think they, they would be able to do that consistently because I think injuries just would just become too big of a factor. It's, uh, it's it, a nightmare for you guys, honestly. It, yeah. It was like, I remember we were talking about this the other day when the rumor came up. You you were worried about Dallas getting in the mix. And I had to tell you, he's like, bro, you, you got to read the tweet. Dallas is out of there. I, I misread the, I miss guys. Like, I misread everything. It was so bad. I was panicking. I was like, bro, if I was so serious too, I said, if, if Dallas were to get Kyrie, I wouldn't watch a single game. And it has nothing to do with the fact that Kyrie's a bad basketball player. I know he's entertaining to watch. It would have been the dumbest thing as a Mavericks fan for us to go trade for a point guard when we do not need that like at all. So no. I'll, I'll let it go at that point. But yeah, I misread it completely. But overall, I mean, I just don't think it really any way that you slice it or dice it here. I, I don't think it would work out either way for the Lakers. I think the Lakers have too many issues this year. And I don't think a Kyrie trade is going to solve anything. This team has no depth. And that's the problem. You know, they're, getting, they're getting older. LeBron's getting more injury prone. AD's already been injury prone. And I think at this point, you ha- if you're the Lakers front office, you have to start looking at life after LeBron James. Because there's only going to be a couple years of that left. And I really do think, I've, I've said this before, and I'll consider it again, I do think that it's time to possibly consider trading LeBron James and, and, and potentially blow this thing up and, and start rebuilding. I mean, you I did think, draft I, or sign Scottie Pippen Jr. You guys had a solid, like, two picks or something like that. But I think... And Sharif O'Neal. I think it's time that the Lakers start focusing on a rebuild because I think it's getting to that point. I, I think their championship window with Braun is, like, hanging on by, like, a thread. I mean, you could honestly say that it's probably closed just because the Western Conference is just stacked from top to bottom. And I don't think that the Lakers have a roster that could be able to effectively compete compete against what the Western Conference offers. I think that Golden State is a better team than and by a considerable margin. I think Phoenix is a better team. I think Utah is a better team than them. I think that Dallas is a better team than them. There's a... There's four... I, I mean... There's probably six to seven teams that I could say that are legitimately better. Even the Clippers, I think, are better than the Lakers. Point. Yeah, Kawhi Leonard's just got uh, cleared of all uh, ACL limitations. So yeah, the Clippers look to be a hundred percent back to healthy. Yeah, and I, I think the the Clips are going to be right back in the mix. I just think that the Lakers are at the point where they know that the window is is really closing fast with LeBron. They may have a year or two left, but I really think it's time to start consider to trading him. I think it's it's at that point. And I still think, even at 38 years old, LeBron would bring a major haul back in return wherever the Lakers could potentially send him. I think it would be absolutely wild if the Lakers were to trade him just because the fact that LeBron James is, is mentioned in a trade is just kind of like earth-shattering by itself. But you look at what the Lakers have on their roster, they have no depth to work with. They're one of the worst defensive teams in the league. They're one of the oldest rosters in the t- in the league, and on top of that, they're going nowhere. They missed the playoffs last year. Granted, they had their issues. Granted, they had injuries. 
But I think it's getting to the point where as a front office, they have to start considering that option. Let's say that they have to, you know, go straight into it, but they have to start considering. They have to start considering it. I think they would be doing a disservice to, the, to their own organization if they weren't considering it. Because, I, I mean, finishing 10th place in the Western Conference or finishing 11th place in the Western Conference, it's only going to last so long. That was with LeBron. So, I mean, we'll see. We got a long way to go in this NBA offseason. We got a bunch of other topics to get to. So, uh, let's transition to another team in the Western Conference that's getting involved in some pretty uh, interesting rumors, and that is the Portland Trailblazers. So, over the last couple of days, Damian Lillard and uh, Nurkic ha- have been on social media posting about a possible Kevin Durant trade that would send Durant from Brooklyn to Portland. And you look at what Dame posted on his Instagram. He put a side-by-side, uh, it was a Photoshopped image of both Kevin Durant and Damian Lillard wearing Portland Trailblazers jerseys. Be very interesting to see if uh, Portland was able to work out some sort of trade package. But I will say, just kind of looking generally through Portland's roster, it would be kind of tough for the Trailblazers to be able to pull that off. But Kevin, I'll kick this one to you. What do you make of all these rumors that have been circulating about Kevin Durant possibly going to the Portland Trailblazers to go alongside Damian Lillard? This is why I love NBA free agency. These rumors come out of nowhere. Players start posting things, whether that's them going and trying to recruit other players to come play with them. Um, front offices, Woj and, and, and it's Shams are just consistently reporting all these different rumors, and it's, it's just so much fun. Now, this all started because Dame had posted that picture of him and Kevin Durant photoshopped together in Portland uniforms, and obviously Nurkic then, you know, created one of his own or reposted it or whatever the situation was. And I think it would be interesting to have Kevin and, and Dame on the same team. Now, the issue is what they're going to have to give up to get Kevin Durant, who is arguably a top three player in the NBA, depending on who you ask. Some some would say top, top two when healthy, of course. Um, but it's just the point is the roster that Portland has, I don't see Brooklyn just simply saying, you know what, we'll, we'll, we'll take shitty players and some draft picks because we're going to just break this down and, 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 you know, kick the tires. And all of this is speculation if Kyrie gets traded, because Kevin has said, you know, with everything going on with Kyrie, he's got to keep his options open this offseason too. So we're kind of just playing this by ear as it goes along throughout the postseason. So guys, none of this is for sure. There is no official report that said this was happening. It's just players are starting to post things. So we're kind of trying to read between the lines and obviously just imagine what it would be like. I don't necessarily know if they would win. You're now joining a stacked Western Conference Dame has been injured the last couple of seasons. Kevin Durant's got a lot of miles on him as well, but still showed he can average 30. Now, outside of those two players, it's just going to be like Brooklyn all over again. Can they defend? Can they score when those two are off the floor? Do they have depth? Will Kevin Durant be willing to play with Chauncey Billups as his head coach? I don't know. I mean, and the, the only potential players that I see on this roster are Anthony Simmons, Josh Hart, and Nurkic. 
Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that there is no talent with Joe Ingles, and we know what he can provide. Obviously, we we, we know that uh, Nasir Little had a couple of 30 balls and so on and so forth. They have, you know, I, I didn't even realize they had Eric Bledsoe, too. So they, they have some people on this, you know, some veterans. And they also have, of course, I'm looking at Justice Winslow, who is a complete bust as far as I can, as far as I'm concerned, being drafted a, a top 10 or top whatever he was to Miami. But, you know, anyway. They have spotty players. They have potential players. But again, the only good players I would see that would have to get packaged for KD would have to be Simmons, would have to be Hart, would have to be Nurkic, and then picks because Kevin Durant, like Kyle said about LeBron James, being traded is an earth-shattering report, an earth-shattering possibility. So if you empty the roster just to bring in KD and play with Dame, you're doing the same thing that he's got in Brooklyn right now, and that's just... I don't know if that's going to work out, especially because, as we alluded to just a few moments ago, the Clippers are reloaded. Denver's going to be reloaded. Dallas is coming back stronger. Obviously, we got Phoenix, who is the number one seeded team in the Western Conference. The Warriors are the defending champs, and, and the list just goes on. The Western Conference is just a tight-knit, just a very, very competitive uh, conference right now, and to just Take subtract three or four players and picks to throw somebody on a team that's already struggled as is just doesn't really make sense to me. Would it be cool to see Dame and KD pair up? I mean, yeah, they'd probably squeak at the eighth seed, maybe the seventh seed, just because of the two of them together. But if one of them goes down, or if you know they're not getting along, or if they can't score and those two are off the floor, or if their defense is bad like Brooklyn's, I don't necessarily know how this is going to handle itself as the season progresses one of the cool rumors yeah interesting yeah possible i don't think so it really depends on where brooklyn is from a front office because if they're of the mindset that kyrie irving and kevin durant are just not happy with the general direction that the team is headed in there could be a real possibility that brooklyn could look at this situation where it's like you know what may have to blow this thing up and if that were the case, I- I'm speaking just on that hypothetical, I think Portland could actually make somewhat of a compelling trade package for Kevin just because I think that Brooklyn would just try to you know clear the books of KD and Kyrie at that point and then just bring in some, bring in some role players with the roster that they have assembled right now in a potential trade package that Portland would send to them and give... Kevin Durant, another crack at another team to possibly win a title with. Do I put a lot of faith into that? Not necessarily. I can't rule it out just because of the possibility existing, but it's like a 5% chance. Now, still, like for me personally, I still think it's an interesting uh, story to go over because when I look at just the possible matchup of Kevin Durant and uh, Damian Lillard being on the same team together. I, I think that would be the jolt that Portland needs. Portland has always been one of those, I, I would say like they're on the cusp of being a really good team in the Western Conference. It's just, they just can't find ways to get into you know a situation where they're playing in a Western Conference Finals, where they're playing in an NBA Finals, where they're potentially playing for an NBA championship. And to Dame's credit, He's going to play this thing out in Portland. He could have left. He could have found a, a more 
rosy situation in a different town or a different city, but he's remained loyal to Portland, and I definitely have to respect that with him. And I do think that, you know, him putting the picture of him and KD next to each other uh, with Kevin Durant being in a Trailblazers jersey, I think that's just him going out and trying to make a recruiting pitch effort to possibly, you know, get Kevin to possibly think of the idea of, you know, going out to the West Coast, playing in Portland, and, and trying to get it done out there. I, I think that would definitely be cool. And I think that if Brooklyn was in a situation where they actually wanted to trade Kevin, just because I think that Kevin in that instance would probably force Brooklyn's hand to where he'd want to get out of there. I I could see Portland trying to make a, a trade package with, like Kevin said, maybe Eric Bledsoe, um, Nurkic, Josh Hart, maybe Nazir Little and Afrini. I mean, you know, Portland would really have to kind of dump their roster uh, to go after Kevin. And granted, I mean, after that, I mean, you'd have guys like Ben McLemore that could potentially be like insert, inserted into a starting role at that point, just because, I mean, Portland would have to give up an arm and a leg, essentially, to try to get Kevin Durant into the mix. And I just don't necessarily see that. I think the idea of Kevin joining Portland would be a very interesting one just because I think it would give Portland that push to be a really competitive team in the Western Conference. I just don't really see this thing playing out. But still, like Kevin said, it's a very interesting rumor. And I do think that Dame is going to try to make an effort to possibly make that a reality. I just don't think it would work out in the end. I think it would present more problems for Portland than it would positives. And that's just how I see it. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting free agency just because of all of these potential trade packages just for megastars and super players like Kyrie, like we just talked about, obviously, with Kevin Durant and just so much that's pending. And I mean, the rumor mill just continues, which just kind of perfectly segues us into our next topic, which... Which one are we talking? There's just so many. I always just go blank on. So, so we're going to talk about Bradley Beal next. So when we look at the Bradley Beal uh, news that's been been kind of been getting kicked around the last couple of days, uh, it seems pretty apparent that Bradley Beal is going to opt out of his current contract with the Washington Wizards. However, he is expected to sign a max deal, a five-year deal that would be upwards of damn near $250 million talking about a huge contract here where he would potentially be almost making $50 million a year and it would ensure his stay with the Washington Wizards for the foreseeable future if that were the route that Bradley Beal were to go down. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, do you believe that this is the right decision for Bradley Beal to opt out of his contract to sign a max deal with the Wizards for the long term? Personally, I don't care. Um, Players like Bradley pissed me off. Um, I've, I've said it a hundred times. I'm one of those people that if I were in their position, I would want to play for a championship. You're already in the NBA. You're a top 25 player, top 20 player, depending on who you ask for Bradley Beal. Uh, you've already made career earnings with endorsements, brand deals. There's so many different things. And of course you've made just hand over fist in Washington as a whole. So now you handcuff the team to pay you $50 million a year now you basically ensure for the remainder of your career that you're going to lose because you're paying Christoph Porzingis $30 million for the next three years and you 50. So you're making 80 million between two people. 
on what earth does that make sense for you to want to be competitive? Like, who enjoys losing day in and day out? Bradley Beal coaches these AAU teams. Bradley Beal has been seen on TikTok, on Twitter, about reminding these kids it's not about, you know, like how many points you can score. It's not about, you know, what it is you bring to the table as an individual. It's what you do as a team to be successful. But you're preaching the exact opposite in your professional career. You're literally taking your team's entire financial future and engulfing yourself into it. Tell me somebody on this Washington roster that makes the Wizards a competitive team outside of Bradley Beal. It's, it's, to me, it's just frustrating because you see Bradley. I don't care. You see Bradley on the court when they lose by a little or they lose to a buzzer beater or Bradley has like 35 at half and the Wizards still end up losing by 20 plus points. Like, I don't know how I would get up and go to work every day knowing that I'm the best player on this team, knowing that I'm making the most money on this team. And no matter how hard I try, unless I drop 50 or 60 points, we're not winning. I just, I, I can't see myself being a part of a losing franchise. He's already been there for 10 years. You've given them everything you can get. Or excuse me, you've given them everything you can. John Wall got traded. John Wall got hurt. So that all broke down. Spencer Dinwiddie, Spencer Dinwiddie and Bertans got traded. The Wizards locker room just seems cancerous from, cancerous from what Bertans and Dinwiddie had said in the Mavericks uh, post-game con- press conference multiple times. So it's like you want to stay in a place where you're not happy, but you're making the most money. To, to me, if that's what you want, go for it, bro. I don't feel bad for you. I said it last year when he decided to, when, he, when the rumors were circulating last offseason about him getting traded. If you want to stay in a losing franchise and you want to get paid $50 million, kudos to you, bro. The, the bag clearly is more important to you than winning. I don't, I don't want to hear you complaining. I don't want to see you throw a fit when your team loses. And I, I definitely don't want to see anything about being frustrated in the media for the 82-game for the season that Washington is going to play next season. So... Good luck doing nothing and have fun with your money. Money's a great thing, but when you're a professional athlete, if you have no urgency to want to win, to me, you're you're a sellout. And I said what I said. Damn, Kev, you, you're not holding back on this one. I, it's, it, it doesn't I, make sense, bro. Look at bro, what they talk about on the. Listen. Look at what they talk about draft night. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna make this point. Paolo or whatever the hell this guy's name is from Duke, the number one overall pick. They're asking these rookies these hypothetical questions on would you rather two rings and no all-star appearances or 10 all-star appearances and no rings? People are choosing 10 all-star appearances, which shows you're selfish. That is the type of player that Bradley Beal is. That is the type of future that is the NBA coming into a nutshell. How dare you choose 10 all-star appearances? Who gives a shit if you score 30 a game if your team is on the bottom pedestal of the NBA? The Orlando Magic, one of the laughing stocks of the Eastern Conference. The Washington Wizards, one of the worst teams that ended up being in the Eastern Conference. It's not fun. I, I don't care if I have 15 out of 15 years, I'm an all-star, but my team has never made it to the playoffs or made it out of the first round. That's not cool to me. That's not something I would brag about. I just I don't find losing fun. And athletes are always saying, well, it's about winning. It's about getting to an NBA Finals. It's about winning a championship or bringing a championship to a city, blah, 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 blah. All this political bullshit. And then when it comes down to the nitty-gritty, well, Washington can give me $10 million more than any other team. But if you simply opt out, you think you're not going to make $30-plus million for another team? You're a two-way player. You can average anywhere from 25 to 28 points per game. You shoot efficiently from three. You're a tall, physically strong wing. 
Miami would pay you that money. Dallas would pay you that money. There's a number of t- the Lakers would find a way to pay you that money. And those are all winning cultures, but you're deciding to stay in Washington because they can give you half of a hundred million dollars a season. That's ridiculous. That's greed. And I hate that. Hey, bro, if he's a bag chaser, bro, I, listen, I got to respect the hustle. And I understand if it comes at the expense of, you know, going out and winning a championship. But I mean, even if, let's say hypothetically, if Bradley Beal were to like reduce his salary by like a quarter, I mean, if you were to look throughout the entire landscape of the Eastern Conference, do you think that Washington could possibly bring in some players to go around Bradley Beal outside of the guys that they have right now with uh, KCP, Kyle Kuzma, and Porzingis that would put them in a situation where they would be a competitive force in the Eastern Conference? I'm not really convinced of that. Now, granted, they have uh, Roy uh, Hachimura. Uh, they have D- Danny Advia, the guy that they drafted a couple years ago. But outside of that, they don't really have a lot to work with. And even if they were to bring in somebody, let's say they trade for somebody halfway through the season that could potentially shake up the roster. I don't think that Washington's going to go anywhere. I mean, they finished 35 and 47 last year. They were one of the worst teams in the Eastern Conference last year for a reason. Now, granted, Bradley did get hurt. He had season-ending wrist surgery. So, you know, I imagine he's still recovering from that. He's going to go into this year with hopefully 100% health. But, no, Kevin, I, I, I'm with you on the part of um, he's just going after the bag. I'm not going to go to the point where it's like he's selling out. I'm not going to go that far. But I don't think that anything he's going to do is going to give Washington a chance to win here. I just don't see but he's, that. He's, he's being complacent. That's what I'm saying. If you know well, the franchise itself yeah, I think he, I think is he knows not doing what, anything, leave. I, 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 it's either that or it's like, you know what? It's like, I'm not going to go anywhere, but they're going to pay me to just stay here and do it. What I got going right but here. He's not, but he's not a player that isn't proven. He's not a player that teams or organizations would be on the fence about to give him money. Any NBA team that's well, competitive would give him $35 plus million dollars and, a year. And, uh, listen, step out of uh, your shoes for a second. If you were in his position, I'm just saying hypothetically, if they're giving you a $250 million contract, think about that. I hear you, bro. Like, I hear a, you. That I understand. I'm not denying it, but he's it, been making 30 some odd million a year already. So it's not like it, he hasn't had a fat couple of extensions, bro. It, it, he's it, good. He's got Kevin, money. He said it publicly, but he said it publicly. I got I enough know. for the rest of my life to never work again. My kids never got to work again. My parents never got to work again. He's I got am. enough money. You're really I, sitting here, but you're selling out for an extra ten million. No, you think about it, bro. He's already a billionaire. I, I understand that. You're not I on the that. precipice or the cusp of being broke. You've made your money. I want to win, dude. I'm tired of coming out here and people laughing at my team. I'm tired of dropping 45, 50 points and losing. You, I would not be a professional athlete to lose, bro. He's disgusting. He's so good. He deserves to be on a better team. If him and Jimmy Butler were on the same team, if him and Luka Doncic, if him and LeBron James and Anthony Davis, bro, we're talking about playoff runs, not lottery runs. You got to understand something. Not every player has their priority set to where they want a championship. 
And that's just a I, I would be I would I would be ten I, years in as a vet. I, Maybe your I first understand. five years, get as much as you can. But I, I'm not I'm not losing for ten years in a row. I understand that, but if he's going to go out there and, and basically say, okay, well, I'm going to get a two hundred fifty million dollar max extension, and I'm not even really thinking about potentially you know having a change of scenery to possibly go out and win a championship, I think that that's secondary. I think the idea of him going out there and getting a championship is secondary compared to possibly getting a huge paycheck. I mean, you're talking about, I understand that, you know, he's already made, you know, millions upon millions of dollars. But if you're talking about Kevin, for example, like for if hypothetically, let's say that you and I are making a hundred thousand dollars every year on an annual basis, you know, freaking Bradley Beal's getting a deal here. Where he would get an increase of his pay to like a hundred forty thousand, like that—that's what we would be making if we were making a hundred thousand dollars. And you add the amount of money he would be making over the next five years with a new contract. You're talking about like a forty percent increase in your annual pay every year. I mean, I understand that. Like, I understand that at this point he's made millions upon millions of dollars. At this point, he should be focused on you know, adding to his legacy by bringing some team a championship and, you know, for his own individual career. But not all guys think like that, Kev. Maybe he's just content with riding this out for the rest of his career, just racking up money and then having money at the end of it. I think some of these guys would instantly take $100 million or $200 million or $250 million in Bradley's case than a chip. Because then at that point, he's set, and pretty much his family generations down the line are going to be all set. And I understand that it comes at the expense of being a champion and being a part of a championship team. But when he can walk away from the game and essentially know that his family and his, you know, his kids' family and their kids' families are set for pretty much generational wealth, it's tough. But I understand it. I get it. It's just, I think that championship part with him, I think that that is a secondary priority of his. Because that's what this contract extension tells me. It doesn't tell me that he's interested in getting a championship. Like I said, I don't want to hear him complain once. Bro, not once. I don't give a shit if they have a, an NBA record turnover day. I don't care if they lose by 100 points. I better see Bradley Beal at every post-game press conference like this. I'm not even playing, bro. I be- bro, I better see you in multi-million dollar suits. I better see you with money coming out your fucking ass. You have no right to complain. If you chose money, I don't care if you lose by 100, bro. You better be smiling because that's the, that's the life you chose yourself. I don't you, care. You can take the Chandler Parsons route. You can take that route. Don't get me started with Chandler Parsons. Why? Don't get me started with Chandler Parsons. Remember that bag that he got and then never played another NBA game again? Yep. And that's all Memphis. That's why the Grizzlies blocked me on Twitter and Chandler Parsons. They did? Really? Yeah. Yeah. You want to talk about that? I was just young and I was upset. I mean, like, I, I mean, I didn't say anything like what disrespectful. Did what did you say? I, basically, I, I was basically like, have fun with this injury prone bum that left us and lied to the media about all this. Blah, blah, blah. It was like a multitude of tweets. And like, I was, again, I was just mad. I didn't like say anything stupid, but it, I was upset. And 
The Grizzlies blocked me and Chandler Parsons blocked me. But I think Chandler has since unblocked me. Oh, really? I it was I didn't really it. care. We're getting after I mean, again, for him to lie and say the things that he said about the Dallas Mavericks, and I don't remember the exact rumors of the story, but basically he was like, you know, like Mark had chose someone over him or Mark said that we're not going to pay you. Meanwhile, he missed like 40-something percent of his games in Dallas. Like, he wanted a Supermax, and like Mark was like, I, I'm not paying you that. Like, I love you as a person, but I can't pay you that. So he shat-talked them and then went and signed with Memphis. Well, at least uh, Dallas knew not to, you know, pay that type of money. Hundred percent, bro. He tore. He tore. He busted his knee up legit right before the season started that year. Like it was even funnier when it happened. I was like, "Ha ha! How's it feel to be injured and you wanted a max?" And nice I think that's when Houston. he blocked me. He was nice in Houston, though. I mean, he was nice in Dallas when he was healthy. I mean, he was great—a a, six-nine or six-ten person that could run the floor, rebound, shoot. I mean, he was great. But he was a, he was an effective scorer behind the three-point line. I do remember, like, he was solid. For a couple of years, and then literally fell oh, off the well. face of the earth. So, oh well, it happens. But um, no, I mean at this point uh, of the episode, I'm gonna kick this one to Kevin. Uh, Kevin's gonna go over a bunch of the NBA rumors that we haven't talked about. There's just been so many rumors that have been circulating uh, in social media on the airwaves the last couple of days. Basically, this is just gonna be a rumor roundup. So I'm basically just gonna kick the floor. Uh, we kick this one to Kevin from here on out. So, Kevin, the floor is yours. There's a lot of names that have been brought up in these NBA rumors the last couple days. So, I'm going to just kick this one to you and let you uh, fly with this one. Yeah, I mean, guys, there's there's a lot of stuff going on right now. The first one I want to start with is John Wall. He's set to make $47.7 million on his last year of that crazy contract he got from Washington in 2017. He's played about 40 games since he's gotten to Houston. And uh, it's been absolutely insane, the fact that he's about to make all of this money. So there is a rumor that he may be bought out, and there are some teams that may be interested in him, and I think that it's an interesting topic of conversation. Um, The Lakers are looking at him. Obviously, they're looking for a replacement for Russ at this point because they're tied to not only John Wall, but they're also tied to Kyrie Irving, as we talked about earlier. The Miami Heat, the Kyle Lowry experiment did not work as well as they had hoped. So I would assume that they're probably keeping an eye on and see John Wall's availability as well. The Clippers are looking for a point guard. So, I mean, that would be interesting to see if John Wall compare up with Kawhi Leonard and obviously Paul George. So there's just a lot coming out right now with John Wall. Can he still play the way that he used to? Is he still explosive with him missing all of last year? You know, obviously choosing to just play, not play to just kind of like keep his money to himself. Um, will he be a distraction in the locker room and blah, 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 blah. So Kyle, I know we're going to continue the rumor mill, but I wanted to ask you, which team do you think John Wall would fit best out of the three teams I just mentioned in the Lakers, Heat, and Clippers? That's a tough one. I know. If I, if I were to say, I don't think that he's going to L.A. I think L.A. Let me rephrase this. I don't think he's going to the Lakers. I think if the Lakers are going to trade for anybody, it would be Kyrie. I think it's because I think the Lakers see Kyrie as a better option despite the fact that Kyrie has his own issues that come along with him it's just that with i think john wall injury issues have been so demoralizing to him over the really i should say debilitating debilitating is a better word um the last couple years really can't rely on that if you're the lakers front office i mean then you would have three potentially 
injury prone players with John Wall, LeBron, and AD at that point. So I don't think that would necessarily work out for them. If I had to say then between like the Clippers and I would say the Heat, I would actually think that the Clippers might be an enticing place. Said the same thing. Because I think that Miami, I'll be honest with you, does Miami really need that big of an overhaul to bring in somebody like John Wall? I, I think Miami, they have a good roster already. They have a pretty solid rotation. I think really the only thing that the Heat maybe need to adjust is maybe just a more consistent point guard. Um, they get great production from Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero really kind of took another step forward uh, in his early career this past season. And they have good role players to work with. I, I don't think they really need to mess any of that up. I think at this point, Miami just needs to kind of continue with the roster that they have, make small little adjustments here. I think, I think, Trying to add somebody like John Wall into the mix, I think that would be too big of an overcorrection. I think the best case scenario for them would be to just stay away from John Wall. So I'm going to say the Clippers. I think the Clippers, you know, look, obviously last year was a wash because Ka- uh, Kawhi missed the entire season. He, st- he was recovering from uh, that ACL tear the year prior. And, you know, Paul George in stretches last year, I thought was solid. And then he had his um, injury issues. Shoulder, that I think. Came. Yeah, so, and he missed a significant period of time. Uh, because of that but overall i think the clippers if they were to bring john wall into the mix i mean you talk about a three-man rotation with john wall Kawhi leonard and paul george I, that'd be solid and then at least john wall would be probably the, the ball dominant player even though the Kawhi does bring up the ball a lot i think that would be the best fit i think that would be john very wall. interesting but do i put a lot of faith in you know that actually happening I don't know. I'd give it like a twenty-five percent chance, but I think it'd be a I think it'd be a higher chance than him potentially going to Miami or, or the Lakers. So I mean, you know, that has to count for something. But if I had to say, like, out of those three teams that you picked, I'd probably say the Clippers. That'd probably be the, the one team I would pick. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Um, and now, obviously, moving on to the next, you know, rumor mill. Uh, the New York Knicks, they're kind of wrapped around a couple of different rumors right now. First and foremost being uh, they had created cap space, alleviating Kemba Walker's contract, trading away their first-round pick to acquire three future first-round picks uh, through the next couple of seasons to make room for Jalen Brunson. There are links uh, tied to Rick Brunson, which is Jalen's father, who was just hired to the coaching staff of the Knicks to further entice him to come play for New York. And they're looking to offer him upwards of $25 million a season. Now, as a Mavericks fan, I look at this and I say that's kind of funny because the rumors from Woj and a lot of Dallas beat reporters are reporting that once free agency opens, the deal is almost done. It's it's just a matter of you know how much. The Knicks made all these moves to try to acquire him, including a coaching staff hire that made me laugh. Like, I know Rick played for the Knicks, if I'm not mistaken, at some point in his career. But to go as far as to hire him on your staff with no guarantee he's going to come, it just goes and shows that the Knicks' incompetence just continues throughout life. Uh, and they just continue to be an embarrassment. And then the next rumor for the Knicks is going to be uh, DeJounte Murray has been linked to a couple of reports that he could be moved this offseason, and they're looking to acquire, and by they, the Spurs are looking to acquire a multitude of first-round picks, which would be anywhere anywhere upwards of two to three first-round picks, which, which of course, the Knicks just happen to have right now, along with a multitude of other teams, including the Thunder. But DeJounte Murray is currently linked to the New York Knicks because they recently did just acquire, like I said, 
three picks in the coming year as well as some younger assets. So Kyle, once again, like I just did with the uh, with the John Wall situation, do you think that DeJounte Murray would be a good fit for the Knicks as their point guard of the future with him having the breakout season that he did last year? I mean, maybe, but Kev, we're talking about the Knicks. I mean, the Knicks have been looking for really like that superstar caliber player to really kind of put the entire city on his back and carry the Knicks to the promised land. Do I think that Murray would be the guy that would, you know, be the spark that gets the Knicks there? No, I don't. I I think that it's an interesting uh, piece to add in. If you're looking at it from the Knicks perspective, Um, I, I would, kind of assume that the Knicks are looking to offload Julius Randle after just last year was just a tire fire. Kevin and I had a lot of high hopes for the Knicks after they finished in the fourth seed, uh, not this past season, but the season prior with uh, the rotation that they had with RJ Barrett, uh, Julius Randle and those boys. And then last year it was just an utter disgrace uh, with the Knicks. So, I mean, uh, kind of like a return to form as far as I'm concerned with the Knicks and their ineptitude. And do I think that like Dewante Murray would, would be the guy that would you know make life better for the Knicks? I mean, maybe, maybe to get them back into the playoff Knicks, but like as like a seventh or an eighth seed, I don't see the Knicks, you know, adding him into the the fold and saying, Oh yeah, like this is like a top three team in the Eastern Conference. I think that the Celtics are a better team. I think that Milwaukee's a better team. I think that Miami's a better team. I think there's a litany of other teams in conference that I think are miles better than what the Knicks currently have on the roster even if they were to add Murray into the fold so I mean if you're the Knicks I mean you're basically at the point where you're going to blow up a certain part of the roster anyway so at this point I don't think they're really going to lose anything if they were to trade for him but I think the overall result is I think it's just going to be more of the same and it's, not, it's not to discredit what Murray's done in his career. He's still relatively young, and he's still got a long way to go uh, for the rest of his NBA career. So I think that the, the sky's the limit when it comes to him. It's just that I don't think it's going to materialize in anything championship-worthy for the Knicks. That's just kind of how I see it. Yeah, I'm definitely not looking at it from a championship perspective. I'm looking at it just for the fact of he's young, right? Yeah. He's gotten better every single year he's been in the league. Last year, he averaged 21 eight and nine with two steals a game shooting 46% from the field. Now that would take the ball dominance away from RJ Barrett. So he can rely solely on focusing on creating shots for himself and not others. And then being able to play off the ball. And of course, putting some effort on uh, additional effort on the defensive side, because we all know that RJ Barrett is emerging as a great wing defender, not one of the best, but he's gotten a lot better and he showed a lot of promise guarding one of the better players. He's, you know, he's a, He's been that focal point on the defensive side to say, I'll guard the best player on the other team, which is, again, that's a big step for someone, I think, who just turned 21 or 22. So you pair him with Obi Toppin, Emmanuel quickly off the bench, both of them showing a lot of promise when given the right minutes. If Cam Reddish can be given some time, well, Obi Toppin, when given time, he had a couple of 30-point games. He had a 40-point game. I'm just saying he has potential. So they're they're I'm not like you said I don't see anything about championship, but in terms of either play in or for an eighth seed, I see the Knicks getting back in because Dejounte Murray can take this team and say 
I can bring the ball up. I don't need to score 30, but I can give you 15 or 20 points on any given night. I can rebound the basketball effectively. I play good defense at the point guard position. He's an all-star from last year. Now, albeit he was a reserve that was called in because of injury, but rightfully so, almost averaging a triple-double in San Antonio when they weren't exactly a good team this year. I think if they can keep the younger core together, like I said, the rumor is just draft picks. I'm not hearing anything about players right now. San Antonio's not going anywhere in terms of in the Western Conference. We've already talked about that. If you insert him and RJ, that's a very solid, defensive, efficient backcourt. RJ's developing, and then you have DeJounte Murray developing. They're growing. They're going to grow in a, in, a, in a market like New York. All you need to get them is a scoring wing because Obi Toppin's a high flyer. You have Mitchell Robinson guarding the paint, a great rim protector and a good rebounder. And you just keep D. Rose off the bench. You know, nothing crazy. He gives you his 10, 15 points a game. The Knicks can find a way. I'm holding out hope because I think that Murray to the Knicks makes sense. Yeah, and I, I understand where you're coming from. It's just... I just don't know how competitive they're they're going to be. Because, I mean, last year was a tire fire. You know, granted, I, they're going to have to make an adjustment. And maybe this is just a scenario of last year where, you know, the Knicks are going through growing pains. Especially because a lot of these guys are in their early 20s and they're still kind of figuring it out. So, I, I mean... We'll oh, they still have Fournier, what, too. How do I forget that? I mean, we'll still... Look, they still have a long way to go as, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, to me, like, let's say just, I mean, if we're looking at this really positively here, but like, you know, long-term future, four or five years out from now, you know, we'll kind of know what it's going to be like for the Knicks. We'll see if, whether or not that RJ you know, continues to develop on this trajectory. Emmanuel quickly, Mitch Robinson, they were to add in Murray into the mix. I, I mean, maybe four or five years down the line, maybe you could see somewhere the Knicks are like a competitive force a consistent competitive force in the Eastern Conference, I think that this team, by and large, is going to go through years of growing pains, though. I don't think that it's going to be just like, oh, it's one year. They're going to be right back in the fold, and they're going to be uh, a top-five team. In no, the not Conference. at all. I, no, I, no. I, think, no. I think this is going to take some time. And, but you know what? Sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes you got to go through the trouble years, or really the, the early years when it comes to these young guys. And see if they can improve their potential. Because I think a lot of these guys actually have potential with the Knicks. It's just whether or not that they can get it together and maybe have the right coach to guide them along that path. So I, I think when it comes to the Knicks this year, really I don't think it matters who they trade for this offseason or if they were to you know bring in somebody uh, for free agency. I think they're still years away from being a competitive force, but it's in large part due to their age, not that the fact that, oh, it's just the Knicks and, you know, they just continue to lose every single time they step on the court. I think the Knicks got to be, Stephen A is going to look at me and and think that I'm crazy. They got to be patient and they got to let these guys develop. That takes time. No, I I agree completely. That's what what happens when you got to build a team up for the bottom. You got to go through those struggle years. It's just that New York has been going through those struggle years for like 50 years. So, unfortunately, um, wrapping this up, just because there's just, just so many rumors, we'll be here all night. It's already almost 1.30 in the morning. Um, the last rumor is more of a positive one, and that is Golden State 
Bob Myers and their front office has announced publicly that they're looking to bring back pretty much the entire roster, which includes the presence of Gary Payton II, Kavon Looney, Andrew Wiggins, Jordan Poole, and Otto Porter Jr., which hypothetically could put them well over a $500 million total roster spend. Kyle, I'm only asking you because we, we, you know, we think very similarly in this case. Is it even possible to bring back these players to make them run it back again? Because $500 million, is that, that, that's not even a 2K uh, salary cap. That almost seems like a number that's not possible. I think Golden State's looking at this perspective. They believe, and this is just my opinion on this, I think they see they have a window. And they're going to maximize this bitch as much as possible. Because look at it. Steph's getting into his mid-30s. Clay's getting into his 30s. Raymond's getting into his 30s. They have a good, they have a solid core of young guys that are coming into the fold, like Gary Payton II. Um, you can look at Jordan Poole. Uh, Kaminga. You can even look at James Wiseman. We'll kind of see what happens with him because he missed the entire season last year. Yeah, he'll I mean, be he'll a, be playing in summer league. He said he said it's about a ninety percent chance he's going to play in summer league to try to get back in shape. Yeah, and, and I think that would be a, b- very beneficial for him just to get back up to game speed. I think yeah. that time during the summer would actually serve him quite well. They have a good roster here, and I think they realize they got maybe like a four year window, and that they're going to maximize this to the nth degree. So if that means they got to spend like crazy the next three to four years to do that and then try to retool after that fine so be it but then at that point Steph's going to be 37 38 years old Clay's going to be in his mid-30s Draymond's probably going to be close to retirement at that point and then at that point you know pretty much the Golden State era as we know it will probably come to an end unless this is a really optimistic view of Golden State here if Jordan Poole, Gary Payton II, and James Wiseman, they all start popping off, and then you have a transition era from the Steph, Clay, and Draymond era to Jordan Poole, Gary Payton II, and James Wiseman. I mean, you're talking about a you know a huge transition of talent at that point. You know, don't forget Gary Gary Payton II. It's like 28, 29, bro. He's almost thirty two. He's he's been in the league for I think eight or nine years. He's just been in the G League, so he's not that young. Yeah, but I mean, twenty eight. I mean, still he turns. He'll be twenty. I think he'll be twenty nine by the time the season starts. I mean, I'm pretty sure Steph. No, not Steph. Um, Clay just turned thirty, and I'm only tilting my camera because I'm about to charge my laptop. No, you're good. Yeah, he's he's twenty nine. Actually, he'd be 30. He'd be 30 uh, this coming December. But, I mean, even still, you know, you look at James Wiseman, you look at um, Jordan Poole. I mean, you know, those guys those guys are still relatively young. Those guys are still, I think, going to do big things for Golden State in the next couple of years. So, I mean, we'll, we'll kind of see what happens. But, overall, I, I think that Golden State just knows that they have a limited time frame with Clay, Steph, Draymond, and I think they're going to maximize the most of it. And that's just kind of really how I see that playing out. So I don't really see an issue with uh, Bob Myers going out and saying, yeah, we're going to try to bring everybody back. I think they know that they got a limited time left and they're going all in for it. That's how I see it. I think I definitely think players are going to have to take a pay cut. Like 
Clay and I I think Steph and I think Draymond are all going to have to look at each other and say, if we want more hardware, we got to take less money to bring everybody back because we all know Jordan Poole, if he is a restricted free agent, he's going to get offers and Golden State will have the opportunity to match. Andrew Wiggins is straight out of free agent. If these people get offers because they just won a championship to ride high, they have their hardware already at a younger age. So if they were to bag chase now, they've won early in their career. So this is why I think that Bob Myers and that front office are going to have to make some pretty tough decisions on what they're going to do and what they can offer because, let's be honest, if they want to stay in Golden State, they're not making max contract money. Like Andrew Wiggins making $30-plus million a year, that's not happening again. Jordan Poole is going to be looking for upwards of 20 to $25 million a year because he's been doing this in Golden State and he had his best career year. We all know that Gary Payton's finally looking to get paid because he's been on two-way deals his whole career. We know that Kevon Looney is looking to get paid because he's been that key focal rebounder and that guy inside for the last five, six years. So everybody's due up for a payday. Otto Porter Jr. probably is going to be that one to say, I'll sign for a lot less because he had his max contract when he was in Washington, and obviously he got traded around ever since then. But everybody else, I'm looking at saying, damn, they're young as shit. There's there's true possibilities for teams to come in and say, hey, we'll give you $30 million. <laughs> Hey, we'll give you your $27 million. Come play over here. You know what I'm saying? Like These younger players are susceptible for temptation because they already have that piece of hardware. They might not be as guided as Steph and the rest of them because they're like, well, we got our max contracts and we have four rings, and we're going to be in the Hall of Fame already. Like, I'll take a pay cut, but if y'all don't want to stay, I'm going to keep my money. So I think this is a lot harder than people already originally anticipating with Bob Myers. I, I, think, I think Jordan Poole is going to leave. I would agree yeah. with that. I, I think Jordan might jump out because Andrew, they need Andrew more than they need Jordan right now because Andrew plays both sides. It's just, which one do you think has more upside? Andrew or Jordan. Now, Jordan is younger, but I think Andrew is kind of finally coming into a solid role, finally. I think Andrew's more valuable because he plays defense. Jordan Poole, as good as he is, we've talked about it, we've written raved about him. He is is legitimately a cone. He's like James Harden out there. Like Like early Houston James Harden type of defense. Yeah, he does that. Let me try to see if I can poke the ball out. If I can't, you already passed me. Like there have been multiple screenshots, slow mos, zoom in motions of like how he plays in transition on the defensive side. It's, it's true. And Steph and Steph looks at him like, <laughs> exactly. and Steph's not the greatest defender either. So when your Hall of Fame point guard is looking at you saying, "You're you got to give me more than that," I don't know. We'll see. But I mean, look, I don't think Golden State's going anywhere. I think they'll be fine. If they're able to bring back a large portion of this roster going into next year, I mean, are we looking at a possible repeat here, Kevin? Possibly Another back to back, potentially. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Well, it just depends on whether or not they could stay healthy. Hey, but, plot um, twist. What if KD uh, says the next chapter of my life is to go back to the last novel? <laughs> God. I'd laugh so hard. I'd lose all respect. Round for two? Him. Round two? I'd Come lose with. all respect for him. I. You to go backwards? The, remember all the snake things that said people said about KD for going out there the first time? I didn't care about the first time. I, I, I get why everybody said that. But I'm saying 
if he were to go back again after leaving to try to prove a point and play with somebody else, knowing that he could have just continued to win in Golden State, you're going to look like an idiot because you left to do it on your own and you're crawling back. That's like, that's like crawling back to your ex. I get that. I think Kevin had more interesting things in mind. I think he was trying to, you know, set some things post basketball or at least set some, you know, business deals up when he was in New York. So, I mean, I understand where Kevin was coming from, but, I think it would be hysterical if we went back. That I, I just find that hysterical. Well, who knows? I mean, maybe LeBron goes there. You know, LeBron's even said that he would love to play in Golden State. So, who knows? I mean, we'll, we'll kind of see how it, it unfolds. But, I mean, that'll pretty much wrap up all the NBA topics. I mean, we had a lot to go over there. So, uh, we'll get that out of the way. And we'll transition to our last segment of the episode, which is going to f- be focused on baseball. And it is going to be on the Yankees and the Astros. So the Yankees and the Astros just finished up a four-game series. I mean, you look at the Yankees and the Astros. I mean, these are two of the best teams in not only the American League, but in all of baseball. The Yankees have been absolutely on fire this season. They are the best team in baseball just based off of their winning percentage. They were the first team to 50 wins. They found ways to just win games in dramatic fashion with walk-off runs, walk-off hits. I mean, the, the list goes on and on with what the Yankees have done this season in impressive fashion. And then the Astros, to their credit, have been very competitive in their own way. Uh, they lead the top of the AL West by a substantial margin in their own division. And when you look at this series that took place between the Yankees and the Astros, it was a four-game series. They split both of these games uh, to a piece. Um, the Yankees did... Uh, win the last one on a walk-off home run from Judge. That's his third walk-off in like the last month. It's been utterly insane. But it kind of begs the question of whether or not that we could potentially see these two teams run it back in the playoffs, potentially in ALDS matchup or even an ALCS matchup as well. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, do you believe when it's all said and done at the end of the year, do you think that the Yankees and the Astros are going to go face-to-face in the playoffs? Uh, I would like to. Uh, I would like to just, you know, get another shot at them in the playoffs and in the postseason to kind of get our redemption. Um, I think that we're two of the best teams, like Kyle alluded to, in the playoff in, in all of baseball. We all know that their pitching staff is great. We all know that um, that they got some great hitters that are still on that team. I mean, for God's sake, we got no hit the other day, also in one of those two losses. So that kind of sucked. But um, we were also being no hit today until I believe the seventh inning, which is when Stanton hit his monster dead shot center uh dead shot to center so i mean the pitching staff to houston is probably their strongest asset and then obviously justin verlander came back and he just did justin verlander things and he's he's basically nolan ryan the man's like almost 40 years old pitching like he's basically in his 20s it's absolutely ridiculous uh but our bats are crazy their bats are crazy our pitching staff had some spotty games but i mean at the end of the day if anything, the series showed, like anything else, we split. We are very, very good matchups amongst each other. We can play the field. We can, you know, have a shootout. We can have power. And uh, at the same time, we know how to, you know, pinch, excuse me, pitch in clutch situations. Both managers made great decisions in this series. I watched it very intently. You can see that the Yankees had a little bit more of that no give up, no fight, uh, no give up and keep fighting mentality. Uh, Both of our wins were comeback victories. So, I mean, at the end of the day, both teams are powerful. Both teams are strong. Both teams are deep. 
and it's a matter of who wants it more. Uh, you know, with it being a four-game series at this point now coming to the summertime, which is the middle of the season, I would definitely say that this is a matchup to keep our eye on. I would definitely say to just kind of circle our calendars for that next matchup, and if it does come, when it comes, it's going to be important. We know that there's animosity between both teams. We know that there's history in the playoffs between both teams, and it's just a matter of, like I said, who wants it more, but this series... Definitely did not disappoint. Very, very entertaining. And I look forward to if uh, if it is an ALCS with a bid to go to the World Series on the line. I mean, when I look at this series as it's pertained to what it could be uh, come around o- October, I think this would be a fantastic matchup. It, like, just looking at the standings right now, I mean, let's go to you know each team's respective divisions. I mean, the Yankees are in first place by 11 games. The next closest team is the Red Sox. At a 42 and 31 record. The Yankees are at 53 and 20. Let's kick it to the Astros. The Astros are sitting at a 45 and 27 record. And the next closest team is the Rangers. And they're at a sub 500 record at 34 and 37. So like these two teams in their respective divisions, they are absolutely cooking this year. Granted, the Yankees do have a better winning percentage. They have the best winning percentage by a large margin compared to Every other team uh, that's really at the top of their game, the MLB really kind of goes to show how well the Yankees are playing this year. But I think that this would be a dynamite matchup if it were to come in October in the playoffs. Because the way that I see it, Kevin, it was like you said, it was like the back and forth nature of this series was really compelling. You could even say, looking at this series, that the Astros, by and large, were the better team throughout this series. Granted, it's one four-game series in the end of June. This has no really bearing on what it could mean come October because these could be two completely different teams when we get to that point in the season. But as of here, as of right now, the Astros may have looked like the better team in this series because, I mean, outside of the two games that the Yankees won, I mean, they the Yankees struggled. Like, like you said, the Yankees got no hit in that third game the other day. And even in their two wins, the Yankees won in dramatic fashion with Aaron Hicks in the first win, launching a three-run home run, I think in the, the bottom of the ninth to tie the game up. And then I think Judge walked it off after. Uh, I think he hit a, not a gap shot, but he hit it to uh, the left corner. Down, down, they, yeah, down the left field line. Yeah, got them a 7-6 to six win. And, and then if you look at uh, the series ender, you know, goes in the extra innings um, and judge hits a three run blast uh, to win six to three. But for the first seven innings, the Yankees couldn't get on the board with a hit. So, you know, you could look at the Yankees and they, you could look back at the series. I didn't think that their pitching was necessarily the greatest. Um, even though that I thought Garrett Cole was solid, uh, not yesterday, but the day before, when they got no hit. I mean, he went seven innings and gave up one earned. I mean, that's great stuff. It's just that the bats did absolutely nothing. That's the one thing about the Yankees. If I had to point to one aspect of that team that's a little bit concerning, is even when the pitching might be on, the bats may just not show up. Granted, I, that's, I'm really nitpicking here, so take that with a grain of salt. They're 53-20. and 20. It's like... This team is 33 games over 500. They're fine. But if I had to nitpick that one thing, 
is that sometimes when the bats don't show up, man, they really don't show up. And, you know, just moving forward, I think that's one thing that you may have to kind of focus on when the Yankees do play better caliber teams. It really hasn't become that bad of an issue because they've pretty much just been rolling over everybody. But, you know, you go up against a team like the Astros, and the Astros have been playing very well of late. If you look at their last 10 games, they've won seven out of their last 10, and they damn near could have, you know, won nine had they won both of these games in the Bronx. But overall, I think the Astros are going to be in it right alongside the Yankees. You know, there could be a point in the time where both teams go on great stretches. Maybe the Astros kind of go on a stretch like the Yankees have been on the last month or so. And maybe the Yankees take a step back and they finally cool off from the hot start that they've been on. But I I think overall, I I think both teams are set on a collision course to to meet in the playoffs. It just depends on whether or not it's going to be in the ALDS or in the ALCS. But I think when I look at these two teams specifically, I think they're the best teams in the AL. And I think as long as they win their respective series in the playoffs, if both teams make it, which I think is basically all but a certainty at this point, I think it would be absolutely electric to see both these teams go back. And it would renew the rivalry that they have. It would, I think it would be the rematch of that 2017 ALCS that Kevin is so fond of. But all in all, I think this would be a great matchup in the playoffs. And I, I do really hope that this actually comes to fruition in October. I'm excited, man. I mean, again, baseball didn't just start, but we're in the middle. These yep. prime marquee matchups are coming up a little bit more frequently, facing the better teams that are out there in the league. It's not like the usual division games. We're going to face Houston again July 21st. It's a two-game series in Houston. So we will be playing them again this summer. And it's matchups like this that just kind of build that anticipation for a postseason. It just it that that narrative starts to be formulated because you're like, all right, these two teams are the best. These two teams are have history. Is this going to get chippy become postseason? You know, postseason baseball. Is this going to become one of those after every game you have to worry about the benches clearing? As, again, the animosity the between both teams is it's gonna it's going to be there, and it's like you can't not like this. It's matchups like this that get you hyped with anticipation. So I, I'm I'm a fan of it. I love it. I, bro, I think the Bronx is going to be rowdy when they get to that point in October. I think they're going to be they're going to be rowdy. It's, That's it's putting it be lightly. Because, bro, y- you still have hatred for that team, don't you? Deep. Because you know who's still there. Deep. That little short bastard. Yeah, I know a couple of those guys have, have come and gone, but Still. It's okay. We'll we'll make do. We'll do what we have to do. But like you said, we didn't exactly play very well this series, so things gotta change. We gotta find a way to hit the baseball a lot more. And that's saying something considering we're the best team offensively in baseball. So uh again, that just you know, I'll be a bigger person. That's a big kudos to their pitching staff and how good they are. But we'll figure it out. Hey, but you know what? But despite the fact that the, the bats really didn't show up, I mean they did show up in spurts, you guys still split the series. And that's you all that could, matters to me. You, you guys, honestly, you could walk away with your head held high on that one. I'd take that Facts. one and run. So Facts. But with that said, you guys, that, that pretty much wraps up all the topics. I know we had a lot to get to in this episode. It, it had been a week since we recorded our last episode. It was So it was just good to get back. Get back to the booth and just do what we always do. 
So, um, you know, once again, I mean, just thank you guys, you know, for tuning in, whether you guys were listening on uh, YouTube or the audio platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, we definitely appreciate you tuning in. Um, like Kevin said, um, our episodes are going to get a little bit more sporadic just because we are hitting that summertime uh, part of the year where Kevin and I are just going to be going on our own respective vacations, doing stuff outside of the podcast. So things may become a little bit more sporadic, but um, really once we get through the month of July, as we start transitioning back into uh, the football season um, towards, you know, the late part of July going into August, uh, that will be a more consistent schedule for us both. And uh, we will definitely be on a more routine schedule. We get to that point. It's just, Gonna have to kind of bear with us for the next month or so. So, you know, typically this is kind of a down time anyway for sports. Now that you know, basketball's wrapped up, uh, Stanley Cup just wrapped up. Um, you know, it's basically just going to be mostly baseball, uh, NBA talk, especially when it comes to free agency in the off season. And then we're going to be gearing up for football pretty soon because training camp's going to start in about a month from now. So, we're going to just try to work through this month. Uh, this next month, the best that we can. Uh, hopefully you guys stick with us and you support us uh, for the next month or so, but uh, definitely appreciate you guys tuning in. And despite the fact that uh, we may be a little bit more inconsistent with our episodes coming up, but Kevin, the floor is yours on this one. Uh, you can take us on home with this one. Yeah. Well, like Kyle said, well, everybody got needs a vacation. Kyle's got a couple of things he's got to take care of this summer. I got to go see my godson. Um, I actually leave on Thursday. So this time next week, uh, or should I say this time? Yeah, this time next week, I'll still be in Pennsylvania. So Sunday episode is probably going to be a no go next week, probably going to be more of a Monday record. Kyle and I are going to try to record this Wednesday, but I know that I have some obligations to take care of before I actually leave uh, with my parents and my family. So we're, we're, we're going to make do with what we have. But again, um, just bear with us. Like Kyle said, you know, the, the both of us have been working hard on our personal lives, being consistent as much as we can here at the podcast. So maybe a couple, maybe two or three weeks of kind of on and off, maybe one episode a week, but we're going to do our best to give you guys what we can, even if it's just uploading a couple of TikToks uh, here and again. But overall, we're just super thankful for the people that have been here from day one. And, uh, you know, we just look forward to continue to make content throughout the rest of the year. Yeah. So, and, you know, it's just that part of the year, you know, definitely see a downturn in just overall sport activities, but uh, we're going to try to s stick with it as much as we can. Um, yeah, it's going to be a lot of baseball for the next before we are diving into some football topics. And I know there's going to be a lot of NBA free agency uh, conversations that we're going to have throughout the summertime. So we'll definitely throw in uh, a couple episodes. Yeah, just, just, like we said, just you know, try to bear with us as best as we can. We're gonna try to make it as best as we can for the first season. But um, with that said, you know, once again, just thank you guys for tuning, supporting the podcast as you have. See you guys later. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. 
We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast.